Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more. Again, good morning, and we're glad you're here. As we, uh, we've been looking back at uh, the last week, the last 25 years, and all that God has done, and that uh, offering 25 forward is an opportunity to, to pay that forward and, and continue that legacy that God has begun. So I hope you'll think and pray on, on that. As you may have heard earlier in the service, um, this Tuesday, October 31st, is, marks the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Now, that doesn't mean that trick-or-treating isn't going to happen on Tuesday, you know, but it's important to take a look at what this Reformation was and why it still is important today. In fact, it matters so much, even though I, I would imagine some of you maybe have never even heard of it. The Protestant Reformation is considered by some to be one of the ten most significant events of all human history. And it's ultimately about Jesus Christ and why he came and and what he did. The central character of the Reformation was a man named Martin Luther, uh, who was born in Germany in 1483. Now, many of us are today familiar with the the great uh, man Martin Luther King, Jr., uh, and he was named after this man that we're talking about from 500 years earlier, Martin Luther. Uh, and it's also interesting, as, you, as I think you'll see as we go through this, he was born just a few decades after the German Johann Gutenberg invented the printing press and printed the first Bible. At the age of about 21, Luther felt called to give up his study of law. He had, he had begun studying law at the age of 13. He was a brilliant man, and um, so he gave up all of his possessions and became a monk, later a priest, in the Roman Catholic Church. And he spent a lot of time in prayer, fasting, and, and other spiritual disciplines, often skipping sleep because it was so important to him. He had a passion for purity, for God's holiness in his life. And he wanted God to be pleased with him. He, he wanted God to, to, to look at him and, and be be glad about how he was living his life. And yet he was also struck by the way in which leaders in the Catholic Church didn't seem to share his zeal for the Lord, who didn't seem to care that much. He was seeking in his own life to love God more and more. But as he took Scripture more and more seriously, he became actually more and more terrified of the wrath of God. And we hear the word wrath of God, we often we sometimes equate wrath with, with anger, but in, in the Bible, with God, wrath is not about anger. It's about being, uh, recognizing that something is not the way he wants it to be. It's not right. And, and, and he can't be happy with that. And so Luther, in recognizing this wrath, spent hours in the confessional. He would go almost every day and sometimes spend three, four, five hours confessing every sin he could think of. In fact, the, the priest who often heard him got, often got tired of it. And so to try to sin less, he, he began trying to punish himself. He would uh, go without food. He would, when it was cold, he would sleep without a blanket. He would take a rod, a metal rod or a whip, and actually beat himself in order to try to, to uh, punish himself enough that he would not want to sin or not be able to sin anymore. 
there was a passage written by the Apostle Paul that particularly stuck in, in Luther's craw. He kept focusing on it and the word righteous and what it meant. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he's, as Luther kept looking at that passage, it, it, it seemed to be saying to him that only the, person, the only persons who could live by faith, which was pleasing to God, were those who were already righteous. Righteous meaning that they were living a, a right life. They were living a life that did not include sin in their lives. Because the text says the righteous will live by faith. And, and Luther said, I hated that word, the righteousness of God, by which I had been taught according to the custom and use of all teachers. In other words, he, what he was dealing with was not just his problem alone. It was a problem that was common in the, in the teachings and the understanding of the Roman Catholic Church at that time, that, that God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. And, and young Luther couldn't could not live by faith because he knew he wasn't righteous. He knew he didn't always do right. He basically interpreted the verse to say, the gospel reveals that God punishes sinners. And if that is the gospel, the word gospel means good news, well, that's not really good news at all for people who all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how hard Luther tried. He realized he could not be good enough to be righteous in the eyes of God. He, he, he kept trying to do good things. He kept trying to earn his salvation. He kept trying to please God. He kept trying to think, if I just do the right things, if I just work hard enough at it, God will be happy and will be pleased, and then I, can be, I will be righteous and live by faith. And yet he knew Sin was still a part of his life, no matter how hard he tried. And, and yet even with his turmoil going on inside of him, he, he did continue to study Scripture. In fact, he earned a doctorate in the Bible, became a professor at Wittenberg University in, in Germany. And uh, here's just kind of a, a map of, of Europe and where all this kind of was going on several years later. And up here is Wittenberg, not far from Berlin, and uh, where he was, where all of this was happening, and where all of this area was going to be transformed by what was beginning in him. And and what the way it was happening is, it, as he was slowly, as he was studying Scripture, he began to see the biblical answer to his struggles. In Ephesians, it says, "For by grace you have been saved." through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. As, as, as Luther looked back at that passage in Romans, he wrote, I grasp that the righteousness of God is that righteousness which, by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. It became clear to him that it wasn't about what he was doing. It was about what God had already done. That God's grace had made him righteous as he trusted in Christ to save him. And it was a gift. It was a gift of grace to be received by faith. Not something which should or even could be earned. 
Now, some of you may be thinking, well, of course, that's the whole point of the good news of the gospel, that we can't earn it. But Luther was living in a time when in the church in, in, in Europe, and the church in Europe was the Roman Catholic Church, was, was often corrupt. And, and, and in fact, it's not Protestants looking back. It was, it was future Catholic theologians and scholars saying the same thing, that, that it had become corrupt during that time. And it was, it was so easy for people to get caught up in doing, in trying to save themselves uh, and, and believing that they could. Positions for bishops were bought and sold, and the church at that time was building St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and it was running out of funds. And so it began this practice of selling indulgences, which Brandon mentioned earlier. In 1517, a priest named Johann Tetzel came to Wittenberg selling these indulgences, which essentially what they were is documents prepared by the church that could be used to, to release someone already dead or, or, or the purchaser from punishment due to their sins. In other words, it could, it could remove somebody from purg- their understanding of purgatory, which is not a biblical, uh, a biblical understanding, but, but they, they had that. And, and uh, they could use it for themselves or they could use it for somebody else. Tetzel, in fact, preached, once the coin in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory heavenward springs. And there was this idea rampant in Christianity of the day that essentially we could save ourselves. We could work hard at it. We could pay for it. And what happens when we do it? It's in our control. I'm able to manage it. It's I can take care of it. And God, you're on your own. I don't need your help in this, God, because I can do the things that the church says are necessary. And, and as Luther had been studying Scripture, this, this incensed him because he had come to understand that it was Jesus' death on the cross that had already paid for the sins of the world, for the whole world, for all who had lived or ever would live, enabling us to be saved by believing, by, by having faith. And that's what... That's what having faith means, is to believe something that, that's not readily apparent. I mean, I can't, I can't show you that, that when you choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that they are, in fact, forgiven. I, I would love sometimes for God to just drop a little sign down and says, Hey, Randy, you, you prayed for forgiveness, you're forgiven. What he does is he shows us in his word that that is the way he intends for things to be. And the question is, do we believe that? Do we have faith? That that is the way God works. That by faith we believe in Jesus' work and not in our own actions, in what we can do or can't do. And and with his passion for faith, these indulgences really took Luther kind of to the breaking point. So on October 31st of 1517, which was the eve of All Saints Day. Now, in the Catholic Church, saints at that point had come to mean really kind of the super-Christians. And unfortunately, in the Bible, that's not the understanding. In the Bible, the word saint has the same root as the word holy. It, was, it referred to anyone who was a follower of Jesus. That was the most common term in the first century for Christians. The word Christian actually came later, little Christ. Instead, it was about being the saints of God and, and, and the witness of the saints. And so th- there was a day, though, by this Point in the Roman Catholic Church that was celebrated to celebrate those super-Christians. It was November 1st, and so the day before was All Saints' Eve, 
And because these were holy people, they called it sometimes All Hallowed Eve. And if you think about it, Halloween, you start to see where some of the words sort of come from. So uh, on this day, and, 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 and today in the, in the Protestant church, when we, those churches that celebrate All Saints Day, it's not about Saint so-and-so. It's about celebrating the lives of all followers of Jesus Christ. So it really does, has taken on, for, for Protestants, a, a different meaning. But on this day, Luther challenged the, this corrupt practice of indulgence, of trying to buy your way into heaven, essentially, by nailing a document to the Wittenberg Castle's church door. He, he called it, now, dispute, disputation on the power and efficacy of indulgences. It was 95 statements on needed changes, as he saw it, in the way the church was operating based on what Scripture said. Not what the church was doing, but what on Scripture said. And they came to later be better known as Luther's 95 Theses. Now, the door of the church, you notice here, he nailed it to the door. Now, why would you nail it to the door? You would nail it to the door back then because the door was that kind of the community bulletin board. It was where people went to post notices, not just religious notices, but all kinds of notices. Now, let me tell you, please do not post any notices on the, the doors of the church today. Especially don't nail them. But we would even appreciate not taping them because it's, it's not the same. But that was then. And that's how they did it then. And so he, ta- he, he nailed it to the door, and, and he did it because he wanted to spark a public debate in this whole thing called indulgences. He, he wanted people to start talking about it. But here's the thing. Remember I said the printing press had just been invented only a few decades earlier. And at this point, there were no copyright laws, okay? And so printers could essentially print whatever they wanted, that they could sell as a way of making money. And so before long, they discovered in Germany, and and Germany was um, part of the Holy Roman Empire, and if you're a German, the idea that the Romans are your king, or your your king is coming, wasn't something you were particularly happy about. And so when, when Luther started putting this information out about the problems with the church that that was almost synonymous with the empire... People were interested. And so they started buying these, these, this statement. It wasn't like um, uh, that the, the printers, all of them were doing it for godly reasons. Many of them were doing it for money. But the good news is that God can work through all circumstances to bring good out of those, those kinds of situations. And, and, and God was working as people began seeing this across the, the area called Germany then and, and saw and started calling for reform. They, were, they started protesting the way that things were being done. And, and there had been others before Luther who'd called for reform, but they'd been much more isolated and, and severely dealt with by the church. But with the advent of the printing press, it was clear that God had provided a new way to get his word out. And suddenly, his 95 Theses became widely available to the people. It was, in fact, the social media of the day. You know? It was, very, it, was, it was how people got the word out. Very different from maybe how we would do it today. You know, if, if, even if you did nail something to our door, most of you probably wouldn't pay any attention. 
But if it was on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, all right, you'd see it. So he was using the means of communication of his day. And, and obviously controversy quickly followed, but Luther continued exploring what Scripture really said. He, he wrote several more papers, which were also widely printed. So more and more of his thoughts were getting out there among the people. To the point where in 1521, Luther was called to, to a diet or an assembly at Worms, Germany, to appear before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Now, Luther thought he was going to go be a part of a debate. But it wasn't long before he realized this was more like a trial where he was going to be asked and then demanded to recant his views. And, and though he knew his life could be on the line, he, he boldly declared, he said, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures, or by clear reason, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God, to the Word of God. I cannot... And I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. And, and that, that statement, here I stand, became actually a fairly famous statement as he stood up for Scripture, for what Scripture says as the authoritative voice in our lives, more so than, than some of the other voices around before an imperial edict could be issued calling Luther a convicted heretic, he escaped Worms, got away. He was excommunicated for his beliefs, but that didn't stop him from preaching and writing. And, and others such as Philip Melanchthon and Ulrich Swingley and, and John Calvin joined in Luther's protests for reform of the church. And that's where it began. It wasn't so much an intention, hey, let's go out and start something new. It started out with, let's reform, let's bring change into this thing that's not working right, and, and yet it didn't happen. Behind his debate with the Roman Catholic Church, really, over, over how a person was saved was the more foundational issue of who has ultimate authority to decide such matters. Is it the Pope? Or is it church councils? Or is it scripture? I mean, the, the, the church had forgotten that in the early centuries of the church, the, the title of pope wasn't used. It was actually the bishop of Rome, one of many bishops, bishop of Alexandria, bishop of Jerusalem, bishop of Constantinople. But over time, as Rome was the center of the Roman Empire, the bishop of Rome took on greater and greater authority and power and ultimately became a pope. And, and Luther ha had a high regard for councils of the church, but he argued that neither councils nor the pope was ultimately infallible, that they're all human. Only scripture, inspired, it's writing inspired by God, could be trusted as the final authority for faith and practice. Luther believed that Scripture was fundamental to understanding the Christian faith, and so he began translating the Bible into German, which was virtually unheard of, because at that point, the, the Mass and the Bibles were in Latin. Now, understand, Latin's okay if you live in Italy. Latin's not so good if you live in Germany, where only the, the most educated or the priests themselves knew. And so the, the Word would be taught 
somewhat in mass, but the common people of the day didn't understand what was being said. And so Luther, Luther said, if, if this is the word of God, we need to get the word of God into the peoples of uh, the people. And so he began translating it, which was not appreciated by the, the, the church at that time. The invention of the printing press, again, made this easier than ever to put scripture into the hands of people. You didn't have to spend a fortune to have the Bible hand-copied word by word. You could, put these, you could publish these things in fairly high quantities. And Luther believed from Scripture that Jesus, in fact, was our, our high priest, our priest. And, and so no one needed a church priest to come in and to intercede on the, their behalf or to hear confessions because Jesus was already doing that. We had a direct line to God through Jesus, our great high priest. He was our risen Savior who sits at the right hand of God. His belief in the, in the priesthood of all believers, that every follower of Jesus is in fact a minister. Hear me. This is biblical. This is what the Protestant Reformation believes. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you in fact are a minister. You are called to live out that life and to love your neighbor and, and love your God. And his belief was then that, that each person could read Scripture for themselves. Each person could find that forgiveness in reading God's Word and did not need to go to a human priest in order to receive someone else telling them that they were forgiven. It was not the, the, the institutional church that gave that. It was God. Now, new churches began to emerge from the Reformation forming several major divisions of this. If, if we kind of just, this is just an overview. Here's Jesus and his apostles, the early church. And in around 1055, the Roman church or the Western church, which was mainly Europe, uh, Western and Central Europe, sp split from the, the Eastern church or the Orthodox church, we call it today, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, uh, those churches. And so in, in Europe, the Roman Catholic Church con continued until we get to the Protestant Reformation. And at this point, we see, though it was never Luther's intent, but remember, he always wanted to reform the existing church. He wasn't trying to step outside the church. But as, that, as the church didn't allow it to happen, some started to follow him and, and create the Lutheran church and the evangelical free. Others began to listen to a man named John Calvin to form the Reformed and Presbyterian, John Knox. Uh, still other groups were the Anabaptists who led to modern-day Mennonites and Amish. And, and later in England, the Anglican church came into being as a kind of a, a, Protestant, a Protestant group uh, that led to form the groups like Methodists and Quakers and, and ultimately Congregationalists like the Baptists. And so you start to see these, these, these groups being formed, all standing, though, under this. And, and here's the thing. Yes, there are some differences across here, but those differences are very small. Like 96, 97, 98% of the common beliefs of Christianity are held together by all of those in this Protestant Reformation. And, and not much different from the Roman Catholic Church of today, although there still are some significant differences. Uh, Protestant reformers over time developed what came to be known as the five solas. And S-O-L-A-S. Uh, Sola is a, is a Latin word for alone. And these five essential doctrines 
uh, clarify the differences between the Protestant movement and the Roman Catholic Church of that time. Uh, and, and it was important for people to be clear about this because many of the reformers were being persecuted. In fact, some were killed for their faith because they did not recant these Protestant principles. So the very first one, which you've already alluded to, is sola scriptura. In other words, scripture alone. In 2 Peter, he writes, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The reformers believed the Bible alone to be the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice. And the standard then by which all teachings, all doctrines, all traditions of any church or any person were measured. A council could say something good, but if part of it disagreed with Scripture, it wasn't valid, he considered. Or a pope could say something good, but if part of it disagreed with Scripture, it was not valid. And so Protestant churches today see the Bible, and not a pope, as carrying final authority in matters of faith. This sola, S-O-L-A, also led then, as we mentioned, to the translation of the Bible into other languages besides Latin so that everyone could read God's word. The second sola was sola gratia, or, or salvation by grace alone. Uh, again, from Ephesians 2, it says, for by grace. In other words, something God initially does, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. No one can brag and say, look what I did. We are rescued from, from God's wrath, from his hatred of sin, by his grace alone. He acted first. He loved us first. It is not by our works or by efforts on our part. We cannot be good enough. We cannot try hard enough to save ourselves, even as Luther himself tried to do that. And this is so important today, because even today in the church, and I don't mean just the Roman Catholic Church, I mean the Protestant Church, there are people in our churches today who still think, really, it's ultimately about how hard I work at this. It doesn't mean they don't believe in God, but it means they don't believe God enough to trust that they are saved by grace through faith, that somehow I have to work at this, and, and I'm going to go to, uh, I'm, you know, if, if my good works don't outweigh my bad works, then I'm in trouble. Luther's understanding of Scripture, and it was always in Scripture, by the way. If you remember in our last series, we talked about Abraham. And Abram, in chapter 15, God said to him that he was reckoned or counted or, or, or recognized as being righteous by faith. That was always God's plan. But it is always easier for us to turn faith into rules. It's easier for me to control when I can take it over. I can do it in my own way. I can handle it. I can be the control freak. And there are people in churches today who believe 
believe in God, but they'll come up sometimes and they say to me, but, but I, I've done pretty good. Isn't, isn't that what God wants? And you know what the real answer is? No. Not first. What God wants is our heart. What God wants is our soul. What God wants is us to trust him. And out of that, then, we live for him. God initiated his gracious action in Jesus Christ as the remedy for our sins. Salvation is totally a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit coming to live in the person who trusts in Christ to release them from the bondage to sin and to raise them from spiritual death to spiritual life eternal. Which leads to the third sola, sola fide, salvation by faith alone. John, Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That salvation is a free gift. It is offered to all. It's not just offered to people in the church. It's not just offered to the guys and, 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 and ladies who are doing better stuff than most. It's, often, it's offered to all sinners. You, you look in the Gospels. Who did Jesus go to? Who did he hang out with? He hung out with the sinners and the tax collectors. And that's what made the Pharisees, the, the ones who were trying to live by works, angry. People today sometimes get angry if someone who's turned their life around and, 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 and confessed their faith in Jesus Christ and they look back and they say, but look at all the bad stuff they did. Well, yeah, but look at all the bad stuff all of us have done. We're all in that same boat. And it is only by faith of believing what God has done we are justified or made right or righteous with God by the work of Christ alone and not by our attempts to obey the law. It is our faith that Christ's death on the cross was the full, perfect, sufficient, complete sacrifice for our sins. He paid for them all. He paid for your sins, but he paid for the sins of the person you can't stand and the sins of the people across the street. And he paid for the sins of those in other religions who don't even know it. But like any gift, it's not ours until we receive it. I can pick up this Kleenex. And until you receive it, it's not yours. It's just sitting there. It's, it's, it's yours to have, but it's not yours. And that's what it means to sola fide. By grace, it's been offered to us, but until we receive it, until we accept it, until we believe it, that even my sins, even mine, can be forgiven, it's not real. It's not, it's not a part of our lives. It is our faith then. And, and the key, the one who caused it is the fourth solus Christus. It comes through Christ alone. Hebrews 4 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No matter how good you think you are, none of us are that good. And so we can either, we can either try and, and be utterly disappointed, as Luther was, or we can realize that we are saved by grace through faith. In Christ alone. Remember what we sung? In, in Christ alone, the cornerstone. Why did we sing that? Why did we sing those songs today? Because they're all about exactly what we're speaking about today. 
in Christ alone. There is no one else. There's no other activity that can save us for only Christ, the Son of God, himself could fully pay our, our debt on the cross for our sins, which deserve death, and for which he did die. But the good news is he was resurrected. It's Christ alone that makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God the Father. And so because he has done that, the fifth sola is soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. First Corinthians says, so where, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. See, our lives are gifts from God given for his happiness to do his purposes to do his will for his glory. Salvation isn't a, a one-time recognition of, hey, God did that a long time ago, but that in Christ, he calls us to live every day for his glory, for 24-7, that seeks out of gratitude, out of obedience, of recognizing what Christ has done for us, that while I can never repay, I can never be good enough, I can never undo my sin, I can never pay Jesus back for dying on the cross for me. I can be grateful. And I can be obedient. Not obedient to earn God's favor. See, that's where we, the, the Jews and the Pharisees got it wrong. Obedient because I love him. And I trust him. And I believe he knows what is best for me. And so when I read in Scripture something that I don't like, that, that calls me to a, something to change in my lifestyle, as we all experience, if we're honest, the question is not, do I dismiss it? But if in Christ alone I am saved and He is, and Scripture is the final authority, then I have to decide, am I, will I yield to God's Word? Will I submit to him? Is he Lord or am I Lord? But if he is Christ alone, the cornerstone, then I submit to him in my daily living. This is not just on Sunday mornings, come and say, thank you, Jesus, and then go do whatever else I want. That's not submitting. That's playing games. That's saying, Jesus, I'm going to say the right words, but I'm really kind of winking, you know, because I'm going to go live my own life. I'm going to be in control. And that's exactly what Luther struggled with. That's why what, what happened to Luther 500 years ago was happening 1,500 years before him with the Pharisees, and it is still happening today because the human being, our, 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 our inclination to sin drives us to try to manage our failings and to take control. And ultimately, we have to just say, I lay it all down at the foot of the cross. I can't fix this. I can't do it myself. Save me, Jesus, and keep on transforming me. And I wanted to tell you, our lives aren't here to please others. Even to get attaboys, or to keep a list of rules, or, or guard our own interests, but to live for Jesus Christ as his disciples, as his followers, to glorify him in everything, Scripture says. And that is so countercultural today. In the decades after the Protestant Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church actually came around to many of those, those points that Luther made. 
and they recognized they had gotten off track. In fact, probably the, the area where there is still the biggest disagreement has to do with authority. For they still rest authority in tradition and the Pope in addition to Scripture, while we as Protestants say Scripture alone, fide scriptura, or not fide, sola scriptura. And we have formed lots of denominations as we've tried to live that out. In fact, some 45,000 plus are in existence today. Yet Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation remind us today that trying to win God's favor and, and justify ourselves, make ourselves righteous, is always a losing proposition. Because Luther tried, as many of us have, and failed miserably. Yet our culture keeps telling us that our value and our worth are, are, are based on who we know. Where we live? Am I on the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks? Where do I work? How much money do I make? What kind of vehicle do I drive? Do I have the right kind of clothes? Do I fit in with the in-group at school or, at, or in the club or in my neighborhood? Do I buy a home to get into the right neighborhood so that I can fit in, so that I can look the part? It's the Jews all over again who turned the law, a reflection, what was intended to be a reflection of a life in relationship with Jesus. In other words, how do, once Jesus, I know Jesus loves me, how do I live it out? Well, here's the law that tells you how to live it out into a means to becoming acceptable to Jesus and, and becoming the way that, that God then is obligated, so we think, to approve me, to accept me. Yet Jesus came to tell us we can never be good enough to win God's favor. And the good news is that we don't have to either. He died on the cross for us. He did everything that was necessary. We don't ever have to try to be good enough to win God's favor. Because Jesus did that for us. And when we believe, when we trust him, not just I know about Jesus, not just I think he was a good guy, but I'm going to follow him day in and day out. We receive his righteousness by faith. When God opens his book and looks at our lives, he no longer sees Randy or Mike or, or Melissa or Susan. He sees Jesus Christ who has stood in our place taking our sins. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? We are saved when we choose to believe that I am a sinner, unable to save myself, yet Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so that my debt of sin has been repaid once for all time. And while I cannot earn salvation, I can then gratefully receive by faith that salvation as a gift from God and then commit myself to living for him each day, to live out my salvation in fear and trembling, to live for the sake of others, to love my neighbors, to make a difference in this world for the rest of my days here on earth that I might bring him honor and glory, that I might point others to him, that when I am called a Christian, which in the book of Acts was another word when it was first used for a little Christ, that when someone calls me a Christian, it becomes a, a badge of honor because, not because look at me how good I am, but because somehow in my life they see Jesus Christ. They look at me and they say, you know, you're not that good. 
You couldn't have pulled that off on your own. There must be a God. And he must be in you for that to happen. That's been God's plan and story all along. One of Martin Luther's earliest, most memorable expressions of his discovery of being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ came when he wrote this. The law says, do this. And it's never done. Grace says, believe this. And everything is already done. In Jesus Christ, everything has already been done. For your salvation, my salvation, for the salvation of the world. The pressure to be something or someone we aren't in order to find favor with God or favor with other people has been replaced with freedom. Freedom to be who God created you to be. To live for him. To know that even as we fail, and we all do, we are forgiven. Not because we're good, but because he is good. And we are empowered by his spirit to live for him more and more each day, every day, for his glory and honor. Maybe today on this Reformation Sunday, the Sunday before the the, the 500th anniversary, is a day for you to join Martin Luther and to join billions of others by responding in faith to accept Christ's gracious offer of salvation for you. It is the most important decision you will ever make. It's why we celebrated those baptisms. Not just those who had previously made it and told us they wanted to be baptized, but those that in the moment felt the working of the Spirit in them and said, I want some of that. You can have that today, now. You can depend on Scripture and what it teaches us and spend time in God's Word so you know. Because because through the Protestant Reformation, you have the right to read God's Word. And you can be a part, maybe of a new reformation, a new revival in our land. Because the problems that Luther dealt with in his early life are rampant in our world today. And for that to change, it's not going to be about making better laws. It's not going to be about electing so-and-so or not electing so-and-so. It's going to be about receiving the grace of God by faith, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ in order to follow him and to take his command to go and make disciples seriously, who make disciples, who make disciples. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen if we, by faith, trust and act for him. That's all God has ever wanted to do. It's for you and me to trust him, to believe he does know what is best for your life and mine. I know, for some of you it's hard. For all of us it's hard, really. But Martin Luther shows us, along with many others, that there is grace sufficient. You can't tell me the church is still here today after 2,000 years, with all the ways we have messed it up, if there weren't a God, and he's not working in his church, and maybe even now working to transform it again, back more into a place not where we come on Sunday, 
but where we live for him every day as his disciples to change this world. If that's something you want, our prayer team is going to be down here in just a second, and you're welcome to come and talk to them about that. If, if, if you have been like a lot of us, who at one point did truly believe, but have kind of taken it back and said, God, I'm going to work hard on this myself, and you, you're busy, you're, you're holy, you go do your other thing. Maybe today's the day you need to reaffirm what Jesus did for you and reclaim that reformation promise in your life again. That Jesus promised, really. And for the rest of us, how do we go about being disciples of Jesus? How do we live for him? How do we bring him glory, sola gloria, every day? I'll be out here if you want to say hi. If you're a guest, we'd love to talk to you. But would you join me? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your grace, which is sufficient, more than enough, to save any one of us, every one of us. Father, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can never be good enough. And on our own, if we don't sense despair, as Luther did, we don't really understand the magnitude of our sins. But the good news is, you understood we couldn't be good enough either. And so you sent Jesus to die for our sins, that we might have life and have it abundantly through him, that we might find forgiveness of our sins, that we might be free. Father, help some of us today to accept that freedom, to trust Jesus, not just acknowledge him, not just know he exists, but make him Savior and Lord to follow him from this day forward, to live for him to be a part of his reforming the church, bringing revival to our land and our world. Father, use us for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.